Hi everybody, this is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisces about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. You are listening to, and for the first time, watching Rowan Parant Method, where we talk all things fitness, mindset, well-being, performance, and lifestyle design so that you can live a high-performance life. On today's episode, we have Chris Bunny from Home Sleep. Welcome to the show, Chris. All right. Thanks, Rowan. Pleasure to be here. So, Chris is a sleep scientist. I'm very interested in this conversation. He does home sleep studies, and I was privileged enough to actually have a go of one last night, which uh, had some interesting results, things that I wasn't aware of, that I sort of had an inclination about. So really interested to dive deep into the topic of sleep and how people can improve it. Yeah, all right, Rowan. Okay. What would you like to know? Well, let's start. <laughs> Tell me about your experience as a sleep scientist. Just give us a basic oh, rundown. Right. Uh, well, well, I suppose most people want to know, well, how did you become a sleep scientist? Um, and it, it, I basically started as a sports scientist originally. Really? So, yeah. So, so you know, helping people uh, be at their best is what I've always had a keen interest in. Um, but uh, uh, I spent four years doing post-grad research into muscle fatigue. Uh, really? When I was at uni, mm, leading towards a PhD, which I never completed. Yeah, one of the 70% of people that don't finish their PhDs. Yeah. But never mind, the skills I gained for that was just so invaluable. And especially when I learned to apply it to sleep labs. Uh, my first job at then out of uni was managing the sleep lab at the Prince Charles Hospital in Brisbane. Yeah. And, and this is just in the mid-90s when sleep labs were just starting to open up and sleep apnea was just starting to become known um, and we could do something about it. Um, so that's where it started. Was that predominantly with athletes or the general public? No, it was just general public. Okay. So it was a big switch in terms of clientele, you yeah. know, people that I was dealing with. Um, but it was a learning experience for me and it was just a transfer. I had all the skills and it was just applying my skills uh, – to a to, to different you know problem if you like yeah and, and that problem was sleep apnea which I knew nothing about coming out of uni but then when I got into the hospitals and started working with patients uh, so I basically worked under the supervision of sleep and respiratory physicians you know the medical specialists so they're the experts in this area yes. with the formal qualifications in sleep disorders yeah. and basically I do all the technical work for them yep so I'm an expert in monitoring. Yeah, cool. Well, okay. If you're yeah, not guessing, you're just guessing generally anyway, so this is where you come into it. I can wake up in the morning and go, I feel like my sleep was okay, but until you're really tracking it, it's very different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the physiological monitoring, you know, my, my degree is in physics, physiology, electronics, uh, so I'm an expert in physiological monitoring. Uh, and so the doctors loved me because I had all the technical skills that they didn't have. Yep. Uh, and so we were really, you know, we, we I, I, I learned very quickly that uh, I was then able to become a really good partner for them yeah and just you know in the hospital environment first with just routine clinical patients um and and then and then i was quickly employed by a company that makes all this equipment uh, uh and then i traveled the world literally uh it was literally a dream job rowan wow <laughs> traveling the world setting up sleep labs all over the world and yeah training distributors in lots of different countries and working with the key opinion leaders around the world in the late 90s like you know the key doctors and researchers that were just you know 
evolving this sleep disorder space so quickly at that time. So that was like the startup phase, if you like, of yeah. the whole sleep disorder industry. And I was, uh, it, it was great to be – it was a privilege to be involved with these key opinion leaders right from the word go. What's changed over that time, considering when you first started out, we first had the machine, people were first <laughs> talking about sleep apnea and actually yes. ways to improve it compared to now? Because I know with most things, whether it's nutrition – Breathe, uh, breath work, cold water therapy, all these things with scientific data, we have a better understanding of the mechanisms and things that are involved. What's changed in your experience? Yeah, look, I mean, there's there's lots of things that have changed. Um, probably, I suppose, the most important one is really how good CPAP machines are for treating snoring and sleep apnea. Yeah. That's probably the most important. So the actual, you know, and that's the main treatment therapy for snoring and sleep apnea. Uh, you know, back then, you know, several decades ago, they were quite noisy and uncomfortable to use. Yeah. <laughs> and only the most severe patients and highly motivated patients that had the most to gain really persisted with using them. Okay. <laughs> but nowadays, because they're so small and light and, you know, comfortable to use, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, anyone can use them, really. Mm. Um, um, but, you know, you know, the benefit has to outweigh the hassle of trying to use them. Yeah, of course. Um, but, uh, but, uh, but even people with, uh, you know, very mild sleep apnea can, you know, and, or just, you know, benign snoring uh, can benefit greatly from using them. I'm sure their partners would with the snoring as well. Yeah, true, true, <laughs> true. Yes. So my question is, Basically, why do we sleep? Why is it important? Why do we sleep? Look, uh, yeah, look, it's a very good question, but it, it, the answer is actually pretty simple. The main thing I say about it is that sleep is supposed to make us feel good every morning. Yep. Okay, as simple as that, Rowan. Now, I think that's actually not common. I know a lot of people don't wake up in the morning feeling good. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, do you remember, you know, when you were a child and you used to wake up? You know, did you full of beans, full of energy, can run around everywhere? Yeah, that's it. That's it. So we can actually experience that later in life. Yes, Rowan. Yeah. So yeah, I I call it sort of you know, it's the Benjamin Button principle here. We want to try and reverse our aging process, if you like, and go back to our childhood experiences as much as we can. You know, bring bring out that inner child, as a lot of people say. Yeah, that would definitely <laughs> be a dream. Is, yes, yeah, and this is this is something that can be done. Yeah, so we want people to be wake up feeling good because uh, the way I look at it is when you do that, you know, sleep then becomes the most powerful, you know, antidepressant, you know, you can give yourself as an adult. It, it is so important because so, we often, you know, many people, you know, uh, start perhaps not feeling so good in adult lives once they've had a few you know traumas or things go wrong yep. um, and then a, a lot of it's very normal for a lot of people to be just walking around uh, basically depressed yeah you know it's, it's a bit like being overweight you know it's normal to be overweight people have normalised being unhappy all the time and waking up feeling like crap it's that's just it. considered normal like every man and his dog feels that way so we just accept <laughs> it as a part of life that's it Rowan that's it spot on that's right so my, my quest has become to actually reverse that that, you know, reach out to people for a start and let them know that it, it, you don't have to accept that. Yeah. Um, and so so my job as a scientist is to do it all with data, yeah. to make sure it's all evidence-based, data-driven. Fantastic. So that we don't just, you know, uh, promote snake oil solutions, whatever, because there's a lot of stuff on the internet um, and uh, to, you know, fix snoring and sleep problems. I've heard of many things and a lot of people's <laughs> 
ideas are anecdotal at best. Yes. It's not based on data. And measuring things is completely different. Even in the fitness industry, when you're tracking progress and you can actually show that this is where we've had improvements, this is where we're being held back, and you can problem mm. solve. So that's why yeah. I found it fascinating to explore this and actually look at sleep, have that deep dive into it. What, what are the common problems people play, uh, face when it comes to sleep? Uh, well, the most common one is just waking tired yep. you know, in terms of a symptom. Yes. Um, uh, and also snoring, mm-hmm. bothering their partner. Yep. So, uh, you know, they're arguably as common as each other. So okay. that's where we start with people. What are the other common symptoms that will come up? Because I know you had a on your wall, there was a post with a few listed. Yeah, well, the the I've got it right in front of me here now, Rowan. Uh, so, and when people look at this poster and relate to this poster really strongly, they're the sort of people we can help the most. Yeah. So, so I'll just go through this little list of things here. So, it's like you know, do you snore or suffer from depressed moods, headaches, forgetfulness, poor concentration, lack of energy, tiredness. And mood swings. I can think of many times in my life where I have experienced many of these, and I know many people that battle with these all the time. Their first response is to go to prescription drugs to try yes. and navigate their way through it. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and that really frustrates me when, especially when I get people that have been on lots of medications to help them feel better, uh, and a lot of them, you know, prescribed by you know GPs who don't know any different, who are completely ignorant to the effects of sleep apnea you know or the causal effect of sleep apnea on things like you know depression and high blood pressure um so yeah but it's, and it's then really nice to be able to then find the cause and fix it fix it yeah well again <laughs> i love it looking at things in terms of combining well-being and performance integrating them together wow. sleep is a key aspect when i was yes. younger everything was Bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful. So, yes. That I thought right. I would sleep when I'm dead because I enjoyed my weekends. I enjoyed yes. the things. I was perfectly happy to sacrifice sleep. Yes. I've danced with ways to improve it over the years and so many different forms of supplementation, trying naps, even yoga nidra, things that I'll ask you about shortly. Yeah. But how can, when should people check up on their sleep? <laughs> how do they know there's a problem? I know we talked about some of the symptoms, but when is yeah. the time to actually consult a sleep scientist? Yeah. Uh, well, well basically when there's when there's a problem that you need fixed yeah or you need help with um and you you also need to listen to people around you so if your partner is complaining about the noises you make when you sleep or complaining about your tiredness or lack of energy Uh, well, instead of you know reacting, which is what most people do, and fighting back, it's important to actually listen and go, oh, okay, maybe I should get this checked out. Yeah. So, so the first thing is just to listen to people around you, you know, okay. your family and friends, and even your work colleagues. Yes. Uh, and um, and 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 don't just accept and don't make excuses because that what I see is that people with sleeping problems and who are really tired, they become world champion procrastinators. Yeah, okay. I've danced with that devil before. <laughs> yes, well, you basically say yes to everyone. Yeah. Because you, know, uh, you just don't have the energy to fight back and say no and explain yourself. You yeah. just don't. Yep. So you, so you just say yes to everything and then just try your best to catch up all the time. Yeah. And so when you're in that catch-up mode of living – you know, I'd say that's when you need to reach out and get some help and check what your sleep's doing. Um, so it's as general, it's as simple as that. But but this waking tired in the morning and 
snoring, you know, bothering uh, 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 your partner. Yep. They're the two most important things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are a lot more, you know, more detailed questionnaires we can go through. Now, on those two particular points, I think when most people consider it feeling lack of energy, feeling yeah. like you're procrastinating, that impacts the individual. That's a problem for the individual. A lot of people dismiss their snoring because it only impacts those around them that are trying to sleep. How does snoring have an effect on the individual? Out of curiosity, is there a relationship? Uh, you mean the person who's snoring? The person who's snoring. Yeah, absolutely. Because look, there's nothing good about snoring, Rowan. So what actually is it? What causes it? Yep, look, snoring is a partial obstruction of the throat. Okay. It's as simple as that. So the throat just collapses a little bit too much when we sleep and it vibrates as we breathe in and out. And what does that, how does that affect us? Uh, yep. Well, well, it just restricts the amount of air that you're able to get into your lungs, mm -hmm. uh, and and so it, it, it means you're not getting enough oxygen, and so your carbon dioxide levels start to rise in your blood, uh, and and then uh, you know your brain then wakes you up, releases adrenaline and cortisol, stress hormones, yes. to say, hey, wake up, start breathing. Yeah. So it stresses your body out. Yeah. And then you'll just wake up briefly for maybe five seconds or so, start breathing, take a few big gasps of air, and then go straight back to sleep. So so many people that do that, who snore and have bitter sleep apnea, will be waking up you know, many hundreds of times each night mm. without being aware of it. Yeah, now that's an interesting point. You said there's a specific time that you need to be awake for your body to actually register that you're awake. Yeah, 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 because a, a, a lot of people when I talk to and sh show people all their data, they go, well, no, that's rubbish. I didn't recall waking. You know, that's just not true. And I went, well, well, we've got the data here. It's pretty clear. That's why we measure it. We measure your brain waves. We measure your muscle movements and, uh, and all your breathing movements. And it's, it's crystal clear. Uh, and so the answer is this, that you only remember waking if you're awake for at least about five minutes. So it's got to be long enough for your brain to, you know, um, remember lots of stimulation around that awake period to, to, for, it to be, for it to be worth remembering. Yep, I remember if I leave the TV on and I wake up in the middle of the night, that's absolutely traumatising to me if I wake up the night <laughs> the TV's on. My brain oh. registers it and then I'm awake thinking there you it go. takes me a long time to turn off. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. So, so a lot of people with sleep apnea, for example, often think they don't wake up at all, and they think their sleep's absolutely perfect. Mm. Um, and it's and it's people with insomnia who don't sleep much at all and have trouble, you know, falling asleep or staying asleep or, or waking early in the morning. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So, so they're more attuned and aware uh, that they're not getting enough sleep, but. That's really uh, that's usually a separate issue and a separate disorder than the sleep apnea side of it. Okay. So how yeah. many people are walking around, men and women, with sleep apnea? <laughs> yeah. Look, look. I, uh, about half of all men and a quarter of all women. Right. Oh. Does that change with age, or is it pretty consistent? Good question. It, it peaks roughly in that thirty to sixty year old age group, that middle ages. Yep, fantastic. And it, <laughs> what's really interesting is that it tends to, you know, die off a little bit uh, over that uh, age group. And I, uh, pun intended, there <laughs> because this is only my theory is that people basically die when they don't get it treated. <laughs> really? So it's like a, uh, yeah, so so the percentage of people with sleep apnea becomes less uh, in that older age group. Yep. Because uh, they're not around. Because they're just not around. They've, ha they've had heart attacks in their sleep or they've, you know, had a car accident and killed themselves. So, yeah. <laughs> now, to my knowledge, 
I've been told that there is a bit of a cleaning operation that happens inside the brain when we sleep and people that suffer from sleep apnea do not go through that process as well as people that don't. And that has some links to Alzheimer's, dementia. Is that correct? Oh, Rom, yeah, beautiful. Exactly. So there's a lot of research on this going on right now. Um, and we, we don't really know a lot about it, um, uh, unfortunately. But but yeah, I agree. Um, so the best way to think about it is that, like, if you've, if you've got really severe sleep apnea, for example, you might be waking up every minute of your sleep. Wow. Okay. And so the best way to understand it is to imagine if you went to the movies. And, you know, there was an ad break every five seconds, sorry, a five-second ad break every minute in the movie. Wow. You know, how would that make you feel at the end of that movie? Yeah, not you know, good. Very frustrated. Probably why people are frustrated when they sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so you, you know, it would, st- it would stop you from following the storyline of the movie. Yep. Uh, and it would also, you know, uh, stop you from being able to remember you know, the good bits of the movie as well. Would that have an effect on dream recall? Exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, look, look, possibly, but it's a, because what often happens with the sleep apnea is that people will often recall, you know, scary dreams of drowning or being suffocated or something, having a pillow over their face or whatever, or, 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 um, you know, just some bad things, if you like, some traumas, yeah. <laughs> because they're associating it in their dream. They're associating the high carbon dioxide levels in the blood, you know, yeah. the low oxygen, you know, with with not with something going wrong, and you know, in their in their life, or you know, they might the brain might make up stories to try and explain it. The experience that they're going through while they're asleep. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, I find that fascinating because I know there's a lot of talk in the breathwork industry now in terms of increasing CO2 tolerance and how people that are having a panic attack or not very well, they don't have um, a high bolt score or being able to actually incorporate breathing sufficiently, they do experience panic, anxiety, these things like that. So this is actually happening while we're asleep. Yeah, look, look, it's a really interesting area, this. Yeah, um, uh, but, but I mean, the problem with people with sleep apnea is that they're ability to tolerate carbon dioxide levels is actually too high. Okay. So they're not waking themselves up soon enough when it starts to happen. Yep. (laughs) Interesting. Um, But then people with very mild sleep apnea and who – and especially people who wake up and grind their teeth, quite often their CO2 tolerance is very low. Mm. Uh, and so when so when they do have a little uh, obstructed breathing episode when they're asleep and the carbon dioxide levels might rise, their, you know, the partial pressure in their blood might just rise just a, a few units because uh, it should be around, say, 40 you know, millimetres of mercury in the blood at all times. And it might only rise to maybe 42 or 43 and that's enough to wake, you know, to wake people up who are otherwise exceptionally healthy and fit and young. Yeah. Uh, but it's those people who have really severe sleep apnea who have had it for many years and who are usually overweight, but not always, and they can stop breathing for like up to three minutes. Wow. And their oxygen levels can drop down to, well, the last I've ever seen is 8%. 8 
Wow. Yeah, the guy was blue in the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, so those people, though, unfortunately, have developed a really high tolerance to coping with high, you know, you know with carbon dioxide levels in their blood, and, and their brains just ignore it. Wow. So I don't think, you know, the other side of that coin is that it's not necessarily healthy no. to develop a real high tolerance of carbon dioxide levels in your blood. Yeah, that's actually scary when you consider it that way. It's interesting <laughs> looking at things different perspectives. So I'm very big on people looking for optimization and aspiring to live a high performance life. Obviously, you've had a background working with athletes and the general public. Some people might think, you know, I snore a bit. My partner complains about it. It's not really affecting me. A little bit tired in the morning. They have a couple of coffees. How will their life actually improve if they improve and optimize their sleep? Yeah, well, well, the first thing is just waking up happy and feeling good, full of vitality, Rowan. Isn't that the dream? <laughs> well, it's possible. Yeah, I love that. I'm glad you've said that. It is really possible. Yeah, yeah. So, that's, so the most important thing is people need to be able to feel a tangible benefit straight away. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, we can talk about the, you know, the long-term you know, cardiovascular problems, you know, the... You know, the five to ten times higher risk of having a stroke or a heart attack or a motor vehicle accident. Yeah, you know, and that's All scary what, figures. Yeah, they are very they scary. They are future figures. focus that a lot of people put out of sight, out of mind. Yes, that's it. And unfortunately, I suppose that's. I mean, our whole uh, medical system is focused on 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 people um, who have the highest risk of those long-term mortality problems. Yep. Uh, and that's understandable. Like, you know, the public hospital system, for example. So they have to, you know, prioritise, if you like, and just deal with those patients. Yeah. But we mainly focus on people who are just tired. Yep. And their oxygen levels may be perfectly normal, but they're still waking up lots yep. because of obstructed breathing. Okay. Now, in, in a public hospital system, those sort of people would be told to just go away and, you know, nothing much wrong because with Because they're not at, like, they're not currently experiencing severe illness or close to death. Correct. Whereas you're focused Correct. more on wellness. Correct. Yeah, okay, fantastic. Correct. Yeah, the performance side of things. Yeah. Absolutely. I think every person in everyday life is performing, performing in some capacity anyway, whether it's performing on their job, in their relationships, with their, as a family man, as anything. Oh, yes. We have to strive for, to improve to perform as best as we can absolutely yep interesting so my question <laughs> is obviously there's benefits to athletes what are the common things that are associated with athletes and the general public what are some of the common problems are they the same do they all face these similar sleep issues uh, well extreme fatigue yeah okay which That's comes it. up a lot, the amount of people that complain about being tired all the time. And it's just a rite of passage that people consider when they turn 30. They just think, you know, I'm just tired now. That's part of my life now. Yes, and they blame it on being married and having <laughs> yeah. kids and, you know, working too hard. Yeah. But, you know, the funny thing is, Rowan, I, I, I learned this years ago when I first started, I suppose, but I, I would often see people coming into, like, the hospital sleep labs and, you know, they've been retired for a few years, you know, in their 60s and, you know, they're feeling worse. Yeah. You know, when they thought that all they had to do was just retire and and then suddenly feel good. But, it, you know, or, and or divorce their wives. Yeah. But it didn't happen. Yeah, okay. It's a pipe dream. <laughs> They're still just unsatisfied, unsatisfied with life. So <laughs> what, what can people do? Obviously, we're going to talk about um, – the machine that we can utilize what can people do just the general public to improve sleep yeah look look okay very good question and there's lots of tips and tricks of course um you know i like you know okay so 
there's, there's lots of things. Okay, so but probably the mo- the single most important one is to get up at the same time every single day, seven days a week. I'm glad you raised this. Now, I have a couple of questions to dive deeper into this. <laughs> so having a sleep schedule or a wake time and sleep time, having it as a regular routine is very important. A lot of people believe that they can wake up early in the morning and they can make up for that sleep on the weekend. Is it possible to catch up on sleep? Uh, yes, Rowan. It is. Okay. It is possible. It's a balancing act. Yep. Yeah, so in the real world, realistically, it's a balancing act that we just need to let people do. Okay. Um, But people need to understand that when they are sleeping in, they're compromising on their vitality. Yeah, by sleeping in on the weekend. Yes. Okay, despite maybe having a lack of sleep during the week. Correct. Why? Correct, because they are throwing out their 24-hour circadian rhythms in their body and then mainly their hormones. Yeah, great. I'm going to get into this. This is fascinating. So (laughs) out of curiosity, a lot of people are talking now about how exposure to morning sunlight, pretty much brought up by Andrew Huberman, is going to help set the circadian rhythm. And some people are also discussing being exposed to sunsets as well. Is that a good system to apply? Yeah, look, I agree, 100%. Absolutely. There's something special about the start and end of every day. Yeah. A- absolutely, Rowan, in, in you know, resetting our circadian rhythms. Yes. Mm. Now, how does that impact shift workers or people that do night shift? <laughs> okay. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> you ask the hard questions, don't you, Rowan? <laughs> Rodeo. All right. I've been okay. known for that. Rodeo, okay. There's nothing good about shift work from a health point of view. Okay. Absolutely nothing. Okay, now the only thing good about shift work, of course, is the money. Yes, of course. And so people are willing to sacrifice their health and vitality for a set income. And, and, and look, that's okay. You know, you know, it's, you know, we all have to earn a living somehow. Well, someone has to work those hours. Someone so has to work those hours. Day. That's right. Exactly right. Um, yeah, so, so it's not about being perfectionist about things. Yep. If we want to be perfectionist about it, of course, you, know, you wouldn't do shift work. No, yeah. no, no. But, um, but yeah, so, so but when you're doing shift work, yeah, look, it, 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 it is tricky. What it means is that you are accepting that you are going to be a little bit tired all the time. Yeah. Now, yeah, and you're not going to be performing at your absolute best in those waking hours. But So that's the choice you're making. Yeah. And that's okay. You can still survive and perform pretty well. Yes, but not at your peak or not at your yeah, peak so, of your potential ideally exactly yeah. so you may be suffering from some headaches yeah. some occasional insomnia yeah you know some feelings of tiredness and lack of energy mm. you know so that's just to be expected but you know you can still live a high quality life and overcome those things you know if you're highly motivated and keep yourself really organized mm. absolutely so so what it means is that you you just have to be more careful with Staying organised, if you like, yeah, <laughs> and keeping a clear head. <laughs> Stack the odds in your favour. Now, new new parents, okay? I've had this, my daughter's turning 10, and she was a horrific sleeper. And she was up seven times a night or so, and I would lie there waiting for her to wake up again. The minute she coughed, I'd be awake, and then I'd wait for her to wake up again. So I was severely sleep deprived for an extended period of time. I have friends now that are going through similar experiences where they've got new young children. I know you're a parent as well. Obviously, sleep is a hard thing to navigate when you're a parent. How can we mitigate this? How can we work around it? Yes, very good question. Yes, very, very tricky. Yes. Uh, well, um, 
Okay. Right, right. My, my, my answer, and, and based on my own personal experience as well, having been through it a few years ago, yes. Uh, so uh, the, the important thing, I think, is to have confidence when you wake up every day that you've still had a reasonable amount of sleep. Okay. And that even if you haven't had an ideal sleep, you've got up a few times during the night to tend to your young child, don't use that as an excuse to not getting on with your day and trying your absolute best mm. that day. Yeah, that's solid advice. All right, so the problem I see, and I see that with a lot of people, is that they just use it as an excuse to wanting more sleep. Now, as soon as you do that, you're gone. Okay. So, <laughs> hypothetically, they're faced with that situation. Could they supplement with a nap or should they just get on with it? Uh, good question. No easy answer to this. Um, if it's if there's a lot of extreme sleep deprivation, yes, nap is very useful. Okay. Absolutely, like a short nap, up to twenty minutes, is okay. Okay, you're 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 right, Rowan. Uh, but my personal experience as well is it's far better just to get on with it. Yeah. Okay. okay. From the sleep scientists, everyone, you've heard it. Get on with your day. <laughs> Love it. But most importantly, though, tell yourself that you're just going to go to bed early tonight. Okay. So that's a very interesting thing. A lot of people say, you know, there's a lot of talk of waking up an hour earlier to do a workout or something. There's a lot of things that people want to seize the beginning of the day with a morning ritual, journaling, meditation, whatever it may be. But not many people are prepared to go to bed an hour earlier. People are addicted to Netflix, scrolling through their phone, all these things. Why aren't people prioritizing their sleep? Why don't they think it's important enough? Do they just not know how they, their life will improve if they're doing it? Look, it's mainly a lack of confidence in the ability of their sleep to make them feel good. Wow. So over time, they just haven't been having the best outcome from their sleep so they don't actually understand how powerful it can be as a tool to enhance their life. I think a lot of people can relate to that, particularly young people, partying on the weekends, all things studying, you know, people just don't see how important sleep is and or how it can impact their life. It's amazing. I never considered that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Mm, uh, yeah, nothing more to add intelligent-wise there. But yeah, no, I think that's very vital. So <laughs> I would love to see more people get confidence in their sleep again. That would be an amazing thing because uh, a bit about me, we know I've worked in the health and well-being space. I get a lot of people that come to me and they want to lose, they want to do some body composition stuff and they want to train and most trainers out there are giving people really strict, high-volume, high-frequency training programs low calorie deficits, boosting cortisol levels through the roof already. And I say, how are you sleeping? Or how are you managing your stress? Because if you can't recover from a workout, you can't train that hard. And it's happening when you're sleeping, correct? Yes, Rowan. Yeah, so people get bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful, not in the workout itself, but when they recover during sleep, well, ideally. Well, you're right, Rowan, but it is a combination. Of course, and coming from the sports science world, it's all about stress and recovery. Yes. You know, like we see it out on the running track or the training track. You know, the stress is running as fast as you can for 400 metres, whatever, and repeating that 10 times and giving yourself a 200-metre jog or whatever. Yep. Uh, but you can apply the exact same principle to the wake-sleep cycle. Okay. So you've got to so you can think of wake as being an opportunity to experience lots of different stresses. Yep. Whether it's physical, mental, emotional. Yeah, cool. But bring it on. Yep. Okay? In, in a healthy proactive way, of course, bring it on. You need to expose yourself to lots of stress to give your mind and body something to recover from at night. 
Yeah, okay, interesting. There's a lot of discussion about hormesis where people are looking at acute areas of stress like cold water therapy, these things, intermittent fasting stuff to elicit a response. Like exercise is a stress. So there's eustress and distress. Everyone demonizes stress all the time. So as you're saying, with sport and things, that's a healthy stress provided we can adapt to it, which is happening when we sleep. Exactly right, Ron. So people with sleep apnea, I imagine they have one hand tied behind their back when they're trying to recover. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. Uh, Very interesting. (laughs) Just for everyone, I am suffering from sleep apnea. Won't go into the details, but it's something that I'll explore. (laughs) So I'm hoping to optimize my performance to improve and become even better at what I already do. So I find this absolutely fascinating. (laughs) So... Obviously, there's a lot of benefits to sleep. A lot of people do not understand how their life can actually be improved by sleep. Can you learn to be a good sleeper? Yes, absolutely. Anyone can retrain themselves to sleep properly. Okay. Does that is that something you have to practice during the day, or is it a nighttime ritual? No, it starts in the. It starts from the moment you wake up from okay. the previous day. Yeah. How so? As soon if if you've slept in the previous day, your ability to fall asleep the next night is much less. Okay, is that because you meant there's a set wait time or? Well, because you've had more rest than what you normally get, yep. and so your body needs to be awake more than normal. Mm. And so, because uh, we as humans, we have a natural tendency to sort of run on a twenty-five hour cycle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Can you just explain why 25 hour? <laughs> uh, look, it's purely just an observation being made when when researchers over the years have studied people in a dark environment, like living in a cave, for example, with no exposure to outdoor sunlight yeah. uh, over many days. Uh, and, 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 and they've just monitored their sleep-wake cycles. Uh, and, and so it's purely just an observation. That's yeah. all it is, Rowan. Yeah, cool. Um, um, and then... From a you know, in normal society, when we're out living a normal life, we see some people sort of having that tendency as well, and it's called delayed sleep phase syndrome. Okay. And it's really just, and all that means is that those people have just let that natural cycle sort of dominate them from a, 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 on, a on a daily basis. And I've experienced that myself when I was a research student back at uh, you know, um, doing my PhD in, in my twenties, where I'd end up. Uh, maybe going to bed at 3 a.m. in the morning and getting up late and doing all my research and reading during the day. And then once I got into it all, I didn't want to stop and I'd do my writing and research. Well, we're very thankful that you've done all this because we can learn from this now. So it's definitely paid off for the community. I, exactly, exactly. So, but, but I found myself, I suppose, you know, feeling a bit depressed and you know, out of touch and not perhaps the healthiest and not as vital and as Whilst strong. researching sleep? Well, no, only while researching fatigue. Ah, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly muscle fatigue, but also you know central fatigue. Yep. So the whole fatigue issue. Mm. Mm. So what is an optimal sleep? People throw the numbers out between seven and nine hours. Why do some people need more? Why do some people need less? Yeah, look, those numbers are just based on the average population. Okay. All right. So my sort of feeling on it and my understanding of it is that the nine hours is basically for people with undiagnosed sleep apnea. And okay. untreated sleep apnea. Now, is that total sleep time including waking time or is that – so like nine hours of quality sleep? Yes. Uh, well, well yeah, good question. That's right. So, no, we don't know that. Yeah. No. Okay. No, that it's purely just a population average. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, there's always outliers in anything. Correct. So, what I find in the work that I do, once people get their sleep quality fixed – 
they can feel better on one or two hours less sleep a night. Wow. That is a dream for any entrepreneur, business person, anyone wanting to have more hours in the day. It is actually a secret superpower. It's a hack. Correct, correct. So so the way I look at it, it's not about trying to get as much sleep as possible. You know, I often see it in the media. And over the years, I've been interviewed for ver- by various media organizations and quoted in various you know, you know, newspapers and things. Uh, and quite often, people will replace what I say with the words, at least eight hours. And, um, and I have to keep fixing them. And, <laughs> and then the editors say, no, it's not. It's not trying to. It's not healthy to try and sleep as much as you can, yeah. and, and and for at least eight hours. Get that out of your head. No, that's certainly not my uh, living experience or my experience with lots of people I've worked with over the years. Yeah. No. So, the way I look at it, uh, and the way I, when I've tested it myself as well, is that it's more about just getting by on the least amount of sleep possible to feel at your absolute best. That is the dream, realistically, for anyone that wants to be having an impact in the world. And you've only got so many hours in the day, 25, as you pointed out, potentially. But it's generally a set amount of time that people have. So if we can function off six to seven hours of quality sleep. Correct, right. Then that would be amazing. Just think about what to do with those extra hours. Yep. I know a lot of people that spend the morning clinging to the pillow. When you talk about that sleep-wake cycle and having a regular wake-up time, if someone's had a particularly bad night of sleep that night, should they sleep in a little bit longer or wake up at the same time? Wake up at the same time. Really? It's critical, Rowan. Wow. Now, so what we're dealing with here, though, is also your mental strength, your mind. Okay, because as soon as you give in to that tiredness feeling, you're just accepting and you're choosing just to give in to your feelings of tiredness. And simply not get on with your life. Yeah. And that's a very unhealthy mental space to be in. Yeah. Okay, because it's, it's a bit like that, you know, have you heard of that theory about, you know, if you sort of, uh, you know, if you set a goal or whatever, um, and then if you deviate by 1% away from that goal, if you do that every day <laughs> for, you know. Completely different destination. 180 days, yeah, after a while you're going in the opposite direction. Yeah, interesting. So you've got to nip it in the bud. In the morning. So the way I look at it, Rum, is that that feeling of tiredness in the morning and that feeling that you might think that, oh, I don't want to get out of bed because I'm feeling tired and I've had a crappy night's sleep, that's your first stress of the day. Mm-hmm. Okay, your first stressful experience of the day. Mm-hmm. Now, how you choose to respond to that stress is, is, what, is how you're training your body, your mind and your body to respond to all other stresses for the rest of the day. Interesting. I've had conversations with people where we, when people want to work with me now, I tend to say, can you do seven days of cold showers? My reason being is they're getting uncomfortable. They're exposing themselves to something that is uncomfortable, that is never fun. You feel great after it, but it's always hard getting in. It's only three minutes and they have to have a shower anyway. So if they do it for seven days, then I know that they're in a good position to be able to implement particular changes to their diet, to exercise, try meditation, any lifestyle changes that we want to incorporate. So you're actually saying the first stressor of the day is when you wake up. You're exposed to stress and uh, sort of rating your actual sleep overall. Yes, 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 yes. And and, and the response that you give to that is really just, you know, training your mind to do the same for the rest of the day. Obviously, that would take time to navigate around. So it becomes a habit. Yeah. Wow. Choosing how you respond to a poor night's sleep. 
Correct, Rowan. Yeah, correct. I, I can honestly say I've been guilty many times, Rob. And this is funny. A lot of people are falling victim into looking at smartwatches, and they're like, "How did I sleep?" And they look at the results, and the results aren't so good. All of a sudden, they feel terrible, and they have an excuse. And I wanted to ask. I've been told by someone else they're not very accurate, are they? These smartwatches. Yeah, look. Compared look, to a sleep study. Look, 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 I mean, they're fantastic screening devices for identifying if there's a sleeping problem there. Yep. That's how I initially wanted to look at it. I noticed that yes. I was waking up throughout the night. Yes. And it led me to under, like to dive deeper and explore this. Yeah, exactly, Rowan. Yeah, and you've done the right thing there. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're, they're really accurate with measuring movement. Yep. So if you're moving too much when you sleep, you know, it's often described as like a fragmentation index or, or a wakefulness index or something like that yep. uh, well you should pay attention to that is that an indication of sleep apnea usually yes but not necessarily yeah <laughs> it could also be an indication of you know periodic limb movement disorder mm. where you which is happens when you twitch your legs and arms every 20 or 30 seconds during the night. Mm. <laughs> wow. There's so many things that actually happen while you're asleep and most of us have no clue. It's very interesting to see our partners suffer the fate of listening to us if we're a snorer. <laughs> but again, it's impacting everyone's everyday life because most people I know are tired. Everyone's complaining of tired. Even me is very health conscious. I've always had issues with being t- fatigued and it comes down to simple things. Is there a time and a place for supplementation? People talk about melatonin, GABA, glycine, magnesium. There's so many different options. Uh, what's another one? There's sleep remedies. There's ashwagandha to lower cortisol levels. Is that a Band-Aid fix compared to addressing the actual problem? Uh, uh, in short, yes, Rowan, yes. But can they help? <laughs> well, of course they can help a little bit. Yeah, okay. So it's like the tip of the iceberg. Correct. Correct. So, yes, that's right. A lot of people reach out for those sort of things uh, and spend a lot of time and money on those sort of things and basically doesn't really make much significant difference. Yeah. Uh, exactly right. But, but out of all those, probably the one that I think is the most useful is melatonin. Yeah. I've heard from some people that a lot of the dosages that you get are too high compared to the melatonin that you would actually naturally secrete in the body. And it can cause issues because it's a hormone. Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, so the homeopathic way to look at that is that we shouldn't be taking those sort of things into our body because it's just uh, giving a message to the body to stop releasing those sort of things. So it doesn't encourage the body to release those things in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah, so so I understand that. Um, The but is, I say, especially for something like melatonin, is that it it, it is natural. There's no known negative side effects. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, no, I personally do take melatonin okay. <laughs> How many milligrams, if you don't mind me asking? I do five milligrams. Okay. And is that consistent or do you cycle yeah. it or? No, 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 I just do it occasionally. Yeah, so, if you just need a good night's sleep? Yeah, so, so it's a bit like caffeine, you know. I, I don't like to do it every day. Yeah. I like to have, you know, caffeine-free days yep. so my body can adapt and learn to be happy and, and uh, live without it without it i think that's so important <laughs> because so many people say they can't function without their daily dose of coffee and over time we build up a tolerance we don't get the same effects so how long do you have off between taking a particular supplement to make sure that you get the maximum benefit from taking it yeah yeah no yeah look, look um uh, look, it, it can just be a few days, okay, cool. uh, but but I, I know with supplements, of course, you know it's generally considered a few few months. Yeah, but yeah, that's for people that are taking it periodically, <laughs> you know, every day for an extended period of time. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'm glad. I'm happy to hear that. I know a lot of people that experiment with melatonin. 
So how can we, can you explain the relationship between coffee, coffee timing, how it impacts sleep? Yeah, look, that's a big one. Okay, yep, yep. So, so my attitude to coffee and things like caffeine stimulants, any stimulant actually, uh, is that it, it's okay, but it shouldn't be the first thing you do when you wake up. I've heard delaying it for 90 to... 90 minutes to two hours. Perfect, Roland. Yep. Oh, wow. Yes. You're now, correct me if I'm wrong, is to allow the natural <laughs> increase of cortisol in the morning. Yes. Yeah. Okay. A lot yes. of people are talking about this at the moment. It's great. Yep. It's great. When yes. is too late to have coffee? Because I know it's got a bit of a, you know, afterlife. Yeah. Look, yeah, they, they try, you know, uh, uh, you know a half time of about uh, you know, eight hours or something, six to eight hours. Yep. Um, but, you know, it, it's a 50-50 thing. About half the people are sensitive to it, half the people are not. Yep. So, it's a very definitely individual thing i'm extremely sensitive as well to the point where a few years ago i, I remember having a, a coffee flavored ice cream magnum brought out one at one point i think and i ate it at about three o'clock in the afternoon i thought oh, this, is, this is nice yeah. you know i love the taste of coffee but i'm not a coffee drinker uh i couldn't sleep till about three o'clock in the morning yeah i've fallen victim to that as well. <laughs> i've just had social coffees when i've out before people buy a coffee you have one and i'm up all night so i've learned one coffee per day now delayed for approximately nine, 90 minutes after waking up I have a question. A lot of people say caffeine doesn't affect me. They just think they can have multiple coffees throughout the day and they sleep fine. They can fall asleep after a coffee. Is it having an effect on their sleep? For those sort of people, it's probably good for them. Really? Yes. Now, those people have probably got very severe sleep apnea. Ah, okay. Interesting. <laughs> so for those people, they actually need the stimulation of the coffee to perform at their best during the day. Okay. And, and to avoid depression. Because they're not recovering while they're asleep. Yes, yes. And, and they can't, it doesn't really affect them much because their drive to sleep is so high that, yeah, they can sleep anywhere, anytime with you know, anything on them or any chemical in them. It doesn't really make any difference. So some people actually think it's a good thing that they're a good sleeper, but they are so sleep deprived that despite the amount of caffeine they've got in their body, they will just crash. Correct. No, that you're right, Ron. That's spot on. That's right. That, so those people are likely to have extreme, very severe sleep apnea. Wow. That's right. That's, yeah. that's a really important symptom. I can think of at least 10 people oh, off the really? top of my head that go oh. through this. A lot of people, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes, we need to talk to them. Okay. Yeah, definitely we do. Just to show them there is another way to have an optimal life. There is help out there. If you're watching, there is help out there. So there is another yeah. way that you can live your life. But and my other question is alcohol. A lot of people say, you know, they fall asleep when they have a, a drink at night. It takes off the nerves. They have a, a good sleep. They think it actually improves their quality of sleep. How does it impact sleep? Yeah, look, look I occasionally do that myself as well. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, and uh, look, look it, it, it can help you relax and get to sleep. Absolutely. Yep. You know, you know, one or two drinks. Uh, sure. Um uh, uh, but the the problem is when it becomes like a binge drink, if you like. If there's so much alcohol in your system uh, that it makes your liver work really hard for many many hours yes. during the night to try and get rid of it, because basically, you know, you know, alcohol is a poison. Let's let's be honest about it. Yep. So it's a poison that the liver has to Wrapped try in and nice do. packaging. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So so uh, yes. So 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 a, a little bit to relax is often a good thing yep. yeah just to be able to get to sleep mm -hmm. and it can often be a trigger for your mind and body just to calm down and deregulate yeah okay. uh, yeah so, so i don't mind it in that sort of context does it impact deep sleep REM sleep anything like that well well a small amount of alcohol no not at all no no but it's only when there's lots of alcohol that it can make 
sleep apnea worse because it causes the muscles to relax more around the throat and it causes the throat to collapse even more. So it makes snoring louder. Yeah. And makes sleep apnea worse. And so I think it's often a contributing factor to why people feel really bad hangovers after drinking alcohol. Very interesting point because I think everyone's experienced that at some point in their life. It just comes synonymous with drinking alcohol. You just give up the next couple of days. It's just something that people go through. Personally, I don't drink anymore just because I've got too many things to do. I can't afford to have a hangover. Exactly. uh, Exactly. I've got too many things to do. I just don't have time for it. Hormones. How does sleep impact hormones? And I know cortisol is one that actually relates to sleep quality. How does it impact things like testosterone, other things like that for athletes and just general public? Uh, Very good question. Look, look, I'm no endocrinologist, so I've only got uh, just a very general basic understanding of the hormone levels. Just within your basic understanding? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so so the problem is with... Stress hormones, when they're released, is that it often suppresses the release of other hormones. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. And so when we're asleep, we don't want to be releasing cortisol and adrenaline because mm-hmm. that just stops the release of growth hormone and melatonin in, in particular. Yep. And, and maybe testosterone. I'm yeah, I've sure. heard they've got an inverse relationship. Yes, exactly right. So, 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 uh, so a lot of people will um, – <laughs> a lot of <laughs> – I'll just talk about one little thing here, Rowan. It's often an elephant in the room sort of thing that we don't normally talk about, um, and it's mainly with blokes. Yeah. Um, and sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and sleep apnea and the way it affects their, let's call it their vitality. Yeah, okay, cool. Especially in the mornings. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Yep. So, uh, you know, it's, it's on this, you know, testosterone thing. Uh, so quite often, yeah, severe sleep apnea can basically lower people's testosterone levels and lower their vitality in the morning. See, so many people are turning to TRT, testosterone replacement therapy, or other little snake oils like deaspartic acid, tribulus and things, which don't really have much data on actually working. There are other things like zinc and magnesium, things that can support it, but really they just need to address sleep. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And uh, an extension of that is Viagra. Yeah. Yeah, a Band-Aid fix. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, you know, if people are needing things like Viagra, it just means usually that they've got bad sleep apnea and they just need to fix the sleep apnea and wow. then their vitality will return. Such a key aspect. So many, literally so many problems that are just being treated with a pill or the blame is being placed on another particular area of life and they're not assessing something that we have to do naturally anyway, which is sleep. Yeah, that's it. Very interesting. I'm finding this absolutely fascinating. So, leads me to think, in terms of prioritizing sleep, I know a lot of people that say they're a night owl. Even at certain points when I was younger, I was notorious for being a night owl. Some people are early morning people. Why is there a difference? Is there a benefits to one or the other? Because a lot of people just swear this is the way they are. They operate at night. Yeah, very, very good question, Rowan. Yes, yes. We often have lots of debates, if you like, or conflict with other people in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if we're the opposite. <laughs> uh, yes. So, yeah, look, my understanding and attitude to all that is, is that it's actually not healthy to be either a morning lark or a night owl. Okay. And that if you are, it just means there's something wrong with your sleep or, okay. or something wrong with your 24-hour, you know, sleep-wake cycle. Yeah, and that you to be at your best to perform at your best 
full of vitality and to be as happy as you possibly can be uh, and relate to other people around you in a, as healthy as healthily as you possibly can i do suggest trying to fix that yeah. so that you're neither a morning lark or a night owl yeah interesting i think a lot of people just say this is just the way i am and they just accept it i know some people that have online businesses liaise with people overseas i've got a few friends that come to mind they are willing to sacrifice their sleep similar to a night shift worker for their, particularly their business and things like that Yep, yep, yeah, that's right. And, and look, for short periods of time, there's nothing wrong with that. Look, look, when I started my business 17 years ago in 2006, I worked 42 hours a week after out, like nights and evenings wow. in sleep lab, two hospital sleep labs while I started my home sleep study business. Uh, and I was sleep deprived. I, I was doing shift work. Uh, I, you know, I was certainly, you know, not at my absolute best from a vitality point of view. But you know what? I actually learned to manage it really well because I understood what I was doing to my body and I learned to work with it. Yeah. Okay. It, 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 and really, looking back on it, all, all it really did was I, I was really just sacrificing my social life, really, is really the only real negative detriment you know, in terms of my quality of life. Mm-hmm. But otherwise... I was still able to perform at a pretty good level and it's because I trained my mind to be super strong, mm. like you know, 100% focused on each task I was doing one at a time. Yeah. Uh, and so it just really taught me the importance of doing that. Very valid point and I think something you touched on earlier. In terms of functioning at your best, there are a lot of high achievers out there that have sleep apnea that have these sleep problems, these sleep disturbances, that have young children that are keeping them awake at night and they're battling with sleep each day and they're getting up and they're getting on with it, as you said. But how could, could how good could they actually be if they optimise their sleep? Yeah, well, they look, look, just better. And probably what you're alluding to there, and I think it's really important to touch on this, is their mental health. Yeah, so how does it impact mental health? Because yeah. it's such a common theme, particularly post-COVID, there's such a more awareness is around mental health now that a lot of people are labelling themselves with various issues. It's so common. Yeah, yeah. So so getting back to what I was saying before about it's okay to do those things for short periods of time. You know, I did it for a few years, which is probably a bit much because um, um, we know that like, the research has shown that if you do shift work for more than uh, two years, uh, you're at risk of having insomnia for life. Wow! So that's off, you know it's been done on you know nurses um, that research. Uh, uh, so so I, I was certainly risking it by doing shift work for four years, but I have learned I did learn to overcome it. Um, but okay, so but getting back to it, it's about mental health. <clears throat> so it's about waking happy. Yeah, it's as simple as that, and. And having that as your primary goal for every single day. Mm. So, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, looking for, you know, the joy in little things. I think that would be a lot easier if you're well-rested and feeling good. Well, exactly right. So it's very easy to ignore when you're 100% focused on, you know, your performance, whether as an athlete or a business person. And that's okay for short periods. Mm. But you, you know, it really shouldn't go on for too long, uh, because you're just at risk. Basically, you know, you're, you're basically on a pathway to depression. Yeah, 
which is so common. I learned from personal experience, I was very heavily focused on performance most of my life, particularly in the combat sports industry. And often I would burn out. I would stack, uh, build the sandcastle and knock it down with so many things and I would get tunnel vision and focus on whatever I wanted to do, achieving success, whatever it may be. It took me a long time to learn that when you prioritize well-being and recovery, your performance actually increases and you can do it sustainably. Yep. It took a long time to learn that and I uh, speak to everyone that I know in every client and just in everyday life, I'm always preaching that. And I hope more people take it on board and sleep is clearly a key aspect of that. I have one more question. Well, I have 30 more questions, but we do not have time for that. We've nearly run out of time. You've been very good. One of the questions we to clear up is electronic device exposure in the evening. Obviously how it relates to cortisol levels, blue light, uh, do blue light, blue light blocking glasses work? Everyone's watching Netflix. Everyone's looking at their phones. What's the issue? Uh, okay, uh, it's 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 blown way out of proportion. Okay, interesting. The effect is very minor. Really? Yes. So, to all the teenagers out there playing PlayStation and computers and things at night, looking at their phone, it's okay. It's not so much the blue light; it's their mental state. Yep, because they're being stimulated. Yes. Okay, that's the issue. Yep. So, could you argue that reading a book would still stimulate the mind? It's, it's it's very individual. Yeah. Reading a book is often a much better way of preparing yourself for sleep yep. because you're just focusing on the one thing. So it's like a meditation yep. where you're just focusing on the one thing for a long period of time and you're ignoring little thoughts that pop into your head. Mm. Interesting. Now, looking at – we're talking about meditation, things like down regulation, breath work, all these things like that, and how they relate to cortisol. I imagine we want to keep cortisol levels low in the evening, yes. high in the morning. Yes. It helps set the circadian rhythm. Yes. What things should people avoid at night? Should they avoid late night exercising, things like that? or Not necessarily, no, no, no. But it, it, it's anything that is causing too much distress on the body. Yeah. Uh, now, but sometimes late night exercise can help people sleep better. As long so as it's individual basis. It's very individual. Yeah. Very, mm. it's a, I love the personalized approach. That's where coaches come in, specialists like yourself, all these things, because everyone is unique and there's so many different methods. The concepts are generally few, but there's so much confusion because there are people that from one extreme, the opposite, they preach similar benefits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So getting back to that, it's like, you know, we tend to sit down way too much <clears throat> as a society. Yeah. Uh, and so quite often, uh, one of the main aims of being awake every day is just simply to get tired to be able to sleep properly the next night. Yeah. So, and wake up happy. Yeah, and to wake happy. And and so if you've been sitting down too much a day uh, during the day driving around or working in the office, it, it's uh, you're not going to be tired enough to sleep. Mm. So it's more important. So it's, it, you, you always got to ask yourself, what's more important? So it, it's usually more important to be able to exercise at night to, give, to, to, to tire your body out, your mind and your body. So, so that you got, so that you want to go to sleep. Excellent, Chris. I have to cut you off. You've been a wealth of knowledge. I really loved our conversation. I learned a lot. I would love to have you back again in the future. Now, for anyone that wants assistance, obviously you're Melbourne based. How do people find you? Uh, just look up our website, homesleep.com.au, uh, and uh, and we, we look after people all over Australia. And you, all over Australia, not just Melbourne based. Yes. And you visit people at their home. Yes, we do. Yes, yes. So previously, a lot of people have said they've done sleep studies in a clinic or in a, a lab. You yes. can actually come to their home. I can personally attest to this. He came to my home, rigged me up to a machine, told me what was happening. I went to bed. It was okay. And then we discussed the results. So anyone thinking about it, looking into your sleep, I highly recommend that you do. 
Yep, yep, that's it, right? And we do have a telephone number here. It's it's zero three double nine zero eight five eight double zero, and we can post out uh, equipment to people all over Australia. Fantastic, Chris. Thank you very much for your help. Loved it, Thanks, and I'm Ron. looking forward to having you back. Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Caram. Tune in and enjoy. Come on, Freddy's Kitchen in Station Street for a coffee and something nice to eat. Yeah, the pizzas are great. In fact, all the food rates down at Freddy's Caram Station Street. Come on, come on, come on, down at Freddy's now. Come on, come on, come on, down at Freddy's now. It's a pizza. It's a mystic pizza.